It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Lindsey Graham at the bottom of the hour to handle all the unfolding crises, domestic and foreign. Uh, and, of course, we'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. But right now, as we look at uh, multiple challenges around the globe, whether it's the 38 warplanes that flew over Taiwan over the weekend, or whether it was or what was happening with the buildup of over 100 Russian troops Uh, 100,000 Russian troops around the border of the Ukraine, whether it was 8,500 American military men and women who are being mobilized to go into one of our neighboring NATO nations. This is a foreign policy crisis by Vladimir Putin's doing. Are we handling it the right way? A man that had this portfolio in his hand is the former Secretary of State, and he joins us now, Mike Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. Thanks for having me on this morning. Uh, first off, was this predictable that the when you were there, did you sense that the Russians were getting impatient with the outreach of the Ukrainians uh, to a degree to the West? Yes, Brian. It's, it's absolutely the case that Vladimir Putin's made clear that a democracy on his Western border was not something he was fired up about, right? He wanted control. He wanted political control. He's used political and economic tools to do that for an awfully long time, frankly, since the Soviet Union fell apart, they've tried to bring Ukraine back into the old Warsaw Pact alliance state. So that part's not new. What, what's different is I think he sensed a feeble administration. And so he's begun to use this coercive power in different ways uh, than he would have done with President Trump. It's just we had, we had a policy around the world which made clear, here's the things we care about. Here are the things we're going to defend. And there was no doubt that these words would be backed up by deeds. And I think he you know, he saw the colonial pipeline incident, right, where the Russians shut down pipelines in the southeast, and we we told them that's great, but don't don't do it again. He saw us give them new start. He saw that debacle in Afghanistan, and I think that has emboldened him. The fact that he's now got equipment and troops in Belarus is something that suggests he has deep plans to act in a way that gets Vladimir Putin a lot of what he wants. So another, uh, you know, the 200, the weapon shipments of $200 million have begun arriving in Ukraine. They have about 150,000 active soldiers ready to fight, 250,000 uh, on top, which is pretty formidable. Um, and they have $2.7 billion of our money since 2014, 600 million last year. So it's not like we've been ignoring it. Are they ready to fight? Brian, they are, and they will fight well. Uh, I'm really glad the decision President Trump made to override what President Obama had done. President Obama gave them uh, blankets, pillows, and candy. We, we gave them the capacity to defend their own sovereign territory. Their, their people should do that work, and I, I'm glad we did that. It put them in a much better position today. Having said that, the, the Russian military is a scale bigger. Uh, it's harder to move on offense, so Putin will run into more trouble, I think, than he believes. I'm confident the Ukrainians will fight, but uh, no, make no mistake about it. I said, I said on the weekend that we should respect Vladimir Putin. doesn't mean we should love him, like him, or, or bend a knee to him, but we shouldn't treat him as the JV. They're, they are capable. He is a cr- credible, capable statesman, and that's why the mistake of not putting deterrence in place over the past year 
has led to this moment that we're suffering from today. Here's what John Kirby said he's doing now. Cut one. He is the spokesperson for the Pentagon. The United States will act firmly in defense of its national interests in response to actions by Russia that harm us, our allies, our partners. All told, the number of forces that the secretary has placed on heightened alert uh, comes up to about 8,500 personnel. We're going to be ready. We're going to be prepared uh, to help bolster our allies with capabilities they might they might need. So what does that do? You, I mean, you're not only uh, do you are you a secretary, former CIA director, but you spend years in the military, a West Point grad number one in your class. So what does that do for the region? So I think this is encouraging. I, I think it's a, a bit late, but I think it's encouraging. It sounds like the units that they have notified are mostly transportation assistance which will be important for the Ukrainians to be able to uh, run logistics operations should Vladimir Putin conduct a significant invasion uh, that goes deep. Uh, but second, intelligence uh, operations. Uh, this is very important, too. I had to, to lead the CIA for a little bit. And uh, the ability of the United States to share the intelligence that we have uh, with the Ukrainians as they are trying to push back against Vladimir Putin will prove very important. But, Brian, this does get to the larger picture. You talked about what the Chinese are doing. You didn't mention that the Iranians fired missiles into the United Arab Emirates over the past week, multiple occasions. This is a world that has come to see an America on its back, an America that apologizes, an America that's not prepared to do what it says it's going to do and deliver on the promises it did. No one's in any of those places. No one's asking for American soldiers on the ground. The Ukrainians aren't. The Taiwanese aren't. The Emiratis aren't. What they want is to know that the United States will be with them as the friend and partner that we committed to be and provide them with the kinds of resources they need to protect themselves. So what do you role the Olympics have in what the Russians will do and what the Chinese will do? Well, look, the Russians still have a little bit of work to do to be fully prepared, as I understand the tactical situation on the ground. The Olympics are now a week and a few days away from beginning. Uh, Xi Jinping will use this propaganda tool to make himself look like the nicest, sweetest man on the earth when, in fact, he is trying to be the global hegemon and destroy the American way of life. But I, I must say, as a bit of an aside, we've now, we're now sending young American kids to a country to compete in athletic games and tell them, take burner phones and don't hold up a sign that says free Tibet on a lose run. I mean, this is this is the this is the, the worst kind of malfeasance. We're going to send our athletes and say you must do what Xi Jinping says you must do. Uh, this, this is this is not the way so, America has behaved. In right. The past. I mean, do you fault the IOC for that? Or that do you fault do you fault the IOC for that, or do you fault America for going? Uh, the IOC, in the first instance, made a horrible mistake by creating this genocide Olympics by holding the Olympics in a place where there's a million people sitting in internment camps. But in the second instance. I think the United States had a responsibility to do what's right by its own people, and this is really difficult. I love the Olympics. I saw Carl Lewis run in L.A. in the 1980s, something I treasure, and these athletes work their whole life. But, man, they're going to a place that is very difficult, that has a massive security state that will spy on every single move they make and every electron that fires from any of their systems. We're really putting them in a tough place, Brian. We are. Uh, by going there, perhaps, also in the 1980s, you saw that without the Russians. The Soviets, because they were, were boycotting each other, so the games could fall. But we got to be much aware, like when they give them out from after 2008 in Beijing, that should have been enough uh, for them to go back, because no one was bidding on the Winter Games, perhaps. So uh, it's a it's a tough situation because we're playing it to their propaganda game while they're welding doors shut, 
for people who may have the coronavirus. It's unbelievable. I want to get back to what we're dealing with now. Vladimir Putin's a bad actor. He's a guy hitting above his weight. You have often told me that their economy is about the size of Italy's. And as gas goes over $100 a barrel, they are benefiting big time from that. And they are causing the unrest that's causing that. So when asked about the trouble we're having in with Russia and as it relates to Afghanistan, Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson, who evidently came up with that great evacuation plan, actually acted befuddled by the linkage. Cut one. Cut five. Is the Biden administration aware of how critical the whole world is watching, just like what happened in Afghanistan? And then some reports are saying that Russia are taking a page of what happened in Afghanistan and moving against Ukraine or could move. I have a hard time uh, understanding how it is that uh, putting an end to a 20-year military commitment where thousands of American troops, at one point tens of thousands of American troops were stationed, uh, where there was a NATO commitment, where thousands of NATO troops were stationed for many years, taking casualties. Were, we, were that still to be the case? How we would be better strategically positioned uh, to take on what we're seeing uh, now from the Russian Federation. He does not see the linkage between the two. Is he being sincere? I hope not. <laughs> the, the, the fact that he can't see it uh, is truly remarkable. The American people can see it. The American people, you, you mentioned, Brian, the energy issue. Think about this. Uh, what this, what we've told Vladimir Putin. We told Vladimir Putin we're going to not reinforce our military. We're not going to have a, a defense budget that reflects American security. We've told them we're not going to produce American energy, and we're going to say you can build your pipeline and hold the Germans hostage in the wintertime. Uh, I make no mistake about it. Uh, President Biden needs to be talking to the Germans, saying, "If you, you know, I, I promised you we'd have better relationships than you had under President Trump. The Germans need to be sure that they're doing the right thing to defend Europe and." They're now suffering because they're going to depend on the Germans for their energy, or excuse me, the Russians for their energy, and they can't depend on American LNG, American crude oil produced here at home. Th th these issues are all deeply linked. And to have Ned Price say he doesn't understand how the world watched the way we departed from Afghanistan as a complete debacle and a sign of American weakness, how he doesn't understand how that would fit into the minds of a Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping or Chairman Kim or the Ayatollah is is so deeply concerning for someone who's so deeply involved in making American foreign policy. I, w I would think so, too. You mentioned the Germans. I don't know if he's did it by mistake or not, but the Germans are front and center because they are not on board with this. In fact, they're not letting any, uh, if you are Estonia or Latvia and you're looking to help out the Ukrainians, you cannot go over their airspace. Even the U.K., who's flying in arms, is not allowed to go over Germany. Uh they are not on board with this. Dare I say they're almost siding with Putin. They had their secretary of Navy come out and say Putin deserves respect, and he later resigned over the weekend. Bring us inside the German mindset. I know you dealt with Merkel. Who's this guy? So I know uh, now Chancellor Schultz, too. He was the uh, it was Secretary Mnuchin's counterpart at, at uh, Finance and Treasury uh, during our time. Uh, he's got a very fractious political system. Their parliamentary system has made his power. He's got a Green Party member in control of the foreign ministry. But the Germans have to be part of this answer. They have to defend the Ukrainians, as just like every European country has to do the hard work to make sure that they understand that Ukraine 
can't be someone that is sacrificed for the benefit of German commerce, for German money, for German. And to not allow these weapon systems to fly over their airspace is absolutely outrageous. President Biden and his team need to make clear that it is outrageous and demand that they reverse course. I didn't hear those comments over the weekend about respecting Vladimir Putin. Um, I have a, I, President Trump and I understood that we, he deserved our respect, but he did not ever deserve being allowed to continue his malign activity. He did not deserve to be given a free pass, whether it was what he did in Skirpal or what he was doing in Syria, causing six million people to flee. He is a bad actor extraordinaire, and the United States has the capability to get on our front foot and push back against him. Do you think he, you know, knowing that President Trump has said, you know, and I don't think he's even denied it, that we're holding back weapons at some point until they come clean on this uh, election mess when Rudy Giuliani was uh, traipsing all over the Ukraine, uh, do you think it's feasible that they would have looked at that as an opportunity also to go into and surround and intimidate the Ukraine if you guys were still in office? I can only say, Brian, they didn't. Right? All, all of that happened. Everything you described took place, right? The, 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 the idea that we were trying to make sure that we understood that the Ukraine was straight up and, uh, and, and doing things in an appropriate way. Uh, we, we were working hard. We wanted more democracy, less oligarchy in Ukraine, and we put pressure on President Zelensky to clean up the corruption inside of Ukraine. That was part of our effort as well. But Vladimir Putin never saw that as an opportunity to coerce Ukraine in the way you're seeing today. Uh, he Look, he, he, he knows the history, too. They took a fifth of the country under President Obama when Biden was vice president. I am, and President Biden has now told him you can make a minor incursion into the country, and that'll all be square and just uh, just spiffy by me. Those are those are signs of feebleness, signs of weakness, and those are the kind of things that never happened during our four years, Brian. Well, there's another thing is pretty clear: is uh, weakness doesn't come with you. In fact, you've been working out like a madman. In the last six months, you've lost ninety pounds. Anyone who sees you understands that that's not an overstatement. <laughs> Why, why did it mean so much to you to get into your fighting weight? Oh, goodness, Brian. It's amazing. I was part of helping make the Abraham Accords happen. I met with Chairman Kim, and everyone wants to talk about my weight loss uh, right around the world. Uh, look, it's been a struggle for me for a lifetime, Brian, to try and stay healthy. I'm going to try to keep at it. I pray that I can keep this weight off. I feel so much better, so much healthier. I lost about 90 pounds. Eat less, work out more was the model. I'm going to try and keep at it. I, I want to be around for a while. My son's getting married in the middle of this year. I'm praying that we have grandkids and I want to, I want to be here to figure out how to throw, help them throw a split finger fastball. I understand. Uh, and obviously you're ready to do that. Um, and you've always, when you said your goal, you, you usually get it. Uh, so yeah, secretary, CIA director, congressman, and uh, number one in your class in at, at West Point. And I know people who graduated with you, and you guys are extremely tight West Point class, and all uh, all seem to be very successful. You are goal-oriented, and there's a report in Axios, and no reason to, to think it's not true, that you have a police uh, uh, a political action committee. I'm sorry, what did you say, Eric? Okay. A political action committee has spent $30,000 on media training uh, last March to get yourself ready. Are you all set to run for president? <laughs> so parts of that story is not true. I do have a political action committee. It's called CAF PAC. We're, it's not about me. It's about helping folks uh, crush the progressive liberals in November of this year. I did uh, travel to 30 places. I'll travel to another 40 this year to do that. Focused on 2022, Brian. We'll see what the good Lord brings after this election cycle. I pray we take the Senate and the House back and school boards all across the country and sheriff's offices. If we do that, then uh, 
uh, there'll be a whole bunch of us trying to figure out how to be impactful to preserve the American way of life in the years and months ahead. Understood. And lastly, what kind of media training do you need? <laughs> I need to. I need to learn from you, Brian. We all can get better. You can't afford me, Mr. Secretary. <laughs> I mean, you you can't afford to be trained by me. That, you don't have no, that kind no of money. Truer sta- no truer statement. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, Secretary Mike Pompeo, thanks so much. It's a very fluid thanks, time uh, uh, and a challenging time around the globe. Appreciate you bringing us up close and personal. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. You Bye-bye. got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We witnessed Russian-backed separatists take control of towns and cities in 2014. Can you tell me, are you Ukrainian or are you Russian? I'm just a person. You're just a person? Yes. You won't tell me? No. That conflict's now killed more than 14,000. The U.S. says Russia controls the armed rebels. Uh, that's pretty amazing. There's a lot of Russians inside the Ukrainians, but evidently the sense of nationalism in that country since the 2014 occupation in the Donbass region and the, just the, uh, the recapture of uh, uh, Crimea has really ratcheted up the tensions. I had no idea there were 13,000 dead over that period of time. It's not something that gets a lot of publicity, but it also shows how determined the Ukrainians are. What they are also saying, they actually pushed them further to the West. Vladimir Putin says it's really ours. We never should have left it. If he wants to reconstitute the Soviet Union and maybe um, get that coastline back and get the oil and gas that's within those uh, boundaries, he's got to get back to Ukraine. And I think that's ultimately what he wants. Now they're saying that the U.S. and the NATO, his NATO allies, are acting hysterical. Hysterical. They've surrounded the country with 100,000 troops. The question is, there's a lot of people on the right who are saying, let's not get involved with another conflict. For me, I think you have to make a stand here because if you don't make a stand in the Ukraine, goodbye Estonia, goodbye Lithuania, uh, goodbye uh, Kazakhstan, all the others, or any other one of these autocratic leaders that gets in trouble, 1-800-Vladimir-Putin, come in, use your army, stay a while, and provide that and make sure I stay in power. Uh, that wouldn't be good. Uh, and meanwhile, instead of NATO, NATO not expanding, NATO's being tested right now. Not in a place like the Middle East where you say, well, we really don't have any stakes here. It is right in their backyard. I wish they would realize it, especially Germany. I'm going to bring that up with the senator from South Carolina, Senator Lindsey Graham, next. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. If NATO is a defensive alliance and these troops, if they are activated, are defensive and therefore frontline NATO states, how does this protect Ukraine? How does it stop Putin from going into Ukraine? It's... It's designed to reassure our NATO allies, Jen. It's it's designed to reassure our NATO allies. And we are taking and we are How does it protect Ukraine? Jen, it, it sends a very clear signal to to Mr. Putin uh, that we take our responsibilities to NATO seriously. Right. Uh, but they're not a NATO nation is what her point is. Senator Lindsey Graham joins us now. I know this is a complex region, uh, but these people only understand strength. And they very well uh, understand weakness. Senator Graham, do you like that move yesterday to send, five, I guess, 8,500 personnel to the region? 
Uh, yeah, very much. So what Putin's trying to do is, you know, reconstruct the Soviet Union the best it can. You know, we, we should do a better job of teaching history. Uh, in 1994 or 98, I can't remember, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the Ukrainians had nuclear weapons. They gave their nuclear weapons up to Russia with an agreement with the British, the Russians, and the United States that their territorial sovereignty would be respected. So we enticed the Ukraine to give up their nuclear deterrent force to make the world more stable. And in return, they were supposed to have their territory respected and protected. So will the next group do that in light of what Putin's doing? Probably not. So why does it matter with Ukraine? It's a democracy. Uh, they're very friendly to the United States. They've helped us uh, in the war on terror. They're a democratically elected government. And Putin is trying to dismember them because he hates democracy. It's a threat to his totalitarian regime. They're his neighbor, and he is also threatening the neighborhood. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania are Baltic uh, states that are very small, former Soviet Union client states that are now members of NATO. So what is Putin trying to do? He's trying to break NATO's will. He's trying to get us to back off from his borders. So I like the idea that we will ha he'll have more Americans and NATO troops around him, not less. As he encircles the Ukraine, we need to uh, reinforce NATO's presence and encircle Putin, and I'd be willing to pull the troops out if he'd be willing to pull the troops out. Uh you mean pull him back, but he he does not want he pull wants these yeah uh, he wants these NATO nations uh, to not do it. So we're giving the exact opposite of what he wanted, but he feels like he is surrounded. We got thirty countries now uh, in NATO, and he feels on his doorstep. What I don't understand is the timing. Why all of a sudden does after twenty fourteen he took the Donbass region to Crimea? Why all of a sudden does he need a hundred thousand troops, and why is he threatening now? Joe Biden. It's not it's not hard to figure out, Brian. I mean. In 2014, they seized the Crimea, uh, you know, uh, on, on Obama's watch, right? So bottom line here is he sees a weak American president. He's taking advantage of the moment. Afghanistan was a clear signal to him that America is not reliable. Uh, the Afghanistan debacle is haunting us all over the world. The Taliban are now in charge, and al-Qaeda and ISIS are flourishing. In Afghanistan, it's just a matter of time do they hit us at home or our allies abroad. So Afghanistan was a green light to all the bad guys in the world uh, to go ahead with your agenda. And the only thing will stop him is if we can up the ante, increase the cost. So I had a meeting yesterday with a bunch of senators about imposing sanctions now, not after he invades, about more weapons to the Ukraine to up the number of dead Russians that could uh, uh, occur if he went into the Ukraine. You've got to up the cost. A couple of things. I want you to hear what Victor Davis Hanson say. He said, this is, this is helping China. Cut nine. And we say, well, NATO, this is a NATO problem. There's 30 countries in NATO, Laura. They have a population of 1 billion people. There's seven times... Uh, an aggregate G GDP larger than Russia. If NATO is as powerful and as numerous as it is, then this is in their backyard. 
and yet we can't get more than six countries to spend what they promise, 2% of their GDP. The German people, according to Pew polls, they, they poll anti-American. That's the richest country in NATO. About 54% don't have a favorable opinion of us. The Turkish uh, people, which has the largest army in NATO, are even more anti-American. Germany is wholly dependent upon uh, Russian natural gas now, and, and Turkey has a lot of bilateral defense and industrial contacts with Russia. So the idea that NATO is going to rise up and go empty the coffee shops of, of Europe and go in and, and support Ukraine is not going to happen. Do you have any problem with Is anything he said you view as inaccurate? Yeah, I think it's, I think, I think he under, he's cheapens the value of NATO to stability throughout the world. We haven't had a land war in, uh, in Europe proper since World War II. Uh, we had NATO formed to confront the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was an expansive, expansionist, communist power that wanted to spread communism throughout the world. NATO was uh, formed for democracies to be able to push back and protect uh, democratic interests in Europe. It worked. The Soviet Union collapsed. With all due respect to Mr. Hansen, the worst thing you could do to embolden China is to blink when it comes to Russian aggression. So this idea that it doesn't matter what happens to Ukraine is beyond uh, wrong. It's dangerous because what happened in Afghanistan mattered. What happens to Ukraine matters. If we go wobbly here and let Putin get away with this without a heavy price, then uh, China will go into Taiwan just as sure as we're having this discussion. Will they go? So, are we uh, gonna, yeah. Can we do both? Can we? Can we? Uh, protect Taiwan both. and you better do both. You think they're linked? Well, there's three things. You, there's three things you got to do. You got to deal with the radical Islam, right? You may be tired of fighting radical Islam. They're not tired of fighting you. You can fight them in their backyard, or you can fight them in your backyard. Those are your choices. Okay. This idea that just leave them alone, they'll leave you alone, is dangerously naive. On September 11th. 2001, we didn't have one soldier in Afghanistan. We didn't have diplomatic ties with the Taliban. We didn't have an embassy, and al-Qaeda used uh, Afghanistan to attack us. This is a religious war. They're compelled to have you bend a knee to Islam. If you don't get that, you're crazy. They're going to keep coming after us, so I want to keep them over there so they can't come here. So that's one line of threat. The other line of threat is Russia is expanding its influence to our detriment. Uh, they're trying to break NATO apart, which has been a stable force. And China's up to no good all over the South China Indo-Pacific region. And Joe Biden has set a cascading effect uh, in motion here by pulling out of Afghanistan. If we don't get Ukraine right, then uh, China will seize Taiwan and the world is going to become a very dangerous place. A couple of things. How do you feel about our State Department telling the embassy to empty out? I'm very reluctant to do that simply because it almost accepts an invasion. Joe Biden has been a wrecking ball when it comes to national security all of his friggin' life. Now he's commander-in-chief. He does a two-hour rambling news conference, incoherent mostly, and he makes an odd statement. A minor invasion will be met one way, a minor incursion, versus a full-on invasion. What did they say in the Ukraine? One inch is too much. 
So Biden is is being taken advantage of. So you've got NATO members, particularly uh, the Baltic states, that are yearning to have a more robust response from the, the president. You know, this isolationist movement will exist until the end of time. This happened in the 30s in Europe. You know, Hitler just wants this part of the, this country because it's German-speaking. You know, we had the Neutrality Act. He doesn't really want to kill all the Jews. Well, guess what? The Iranians really do want to kill all the Jews. If they get a nuclear weapon, they'll share it with radical Islamists who have a world. They want to master religion. We live in a dangerous world. So here's what Congress is going to do. Congress, I think, in a bipartisan fashion, is going to sanction Putin for the disruption to to world order by the military buildup, not the invasion, that we're going to agree to send more weapons, not less, to the Ukraine. And uh, there will be a lot of Republicans like me supporting beefing up the American NATO presence uh, um, uh, in the Baltic regions to let Putin know he's not going to get what he wants. So that's the world in which we live in, and China is watching. That's absolutely true. Uh, China's watching, and are they are happy about it? I want you to hear what uh, – one thing I think you're giving Germany a pass. Germany is not allowing the U.K. to fly weapon systems over their country. Uh, they have made statements complimenting Vladimir Putin. The Secretary of Navy lost his job. And now they're really committing nothing to this whole, uh, this whole right. conflict. And, in fact, I think they've well, taken the Russian side. Isn't, doesn't that concern you? And is there anything we can do about uh, it? Very much so. Very much so it concerns me. But they have frozen the final completion of Nord Stream 2. Now, Ted Cruz had an idea to sanction Germany, the pipeline itself, because it's a cash cow for Putin. Germany made a bad decision to link their economy up to Russian gas. Having said that, we have thousands of troops in Germany. They've been a part of NATO since its origination. I think they're taking the wrong path here, but I think Germany is an outlier. Some of the sanctions that we will impose congressionally will deal with Nord Stream 2. We haven't forgotten about Germany. Lastly, uh, what is the timing? Here's what Richard Haas said about the timing of an evasion, cut 15. Well, militarily, Russia's been ready for some time. And the longer the time goes, obviously, you begin to see NATO take preparations. You see Ukraine to, uh, beginning to absorb in some, some weapons. So you know, in some sense, not waiting is in Russia's interest. The problem there is the Beijing Olympics. And they start in just over a week. Putin's supposed to be there as the honored guest of Xi Jinping. And the Olympics don't end until February 20th. So it's unlikely, I think, that he overshadows these Olympics with uh, invasion. Plus, I think Russia wants the diplomacy to, quote-unquote, be seen to, to play out. And the other thing that I've been told is they want the ground frozen. So if they wait too long, the ground's not going to be frozen. Tell me what you think, because you, you have that military background as well. Well, here, here's what I think. I think Putin's trying to achieve objectives. If it takes an invasion to get what he wants, you'll have an invasion. If he can get what he wants through diplomacy, that's the route he'll take. Our goal is to make an invasion of the Ukraine so damaging that he will not go down that road. How do you do that? You don't have to submit American ground forces, but you do have to have a stream of arms to the Ukrainian people who will fight to kill as many Russians as possible. The Russian economy is not strong. It is weak. It's the size of Italy. So what I want to do is punish his oligarch buddies, crush their economy, reinforce the Ukraine, 
so they can kill as many Russians as possible to make an involvement in Ukraine a nightmare for Putin. If we do that, he won't go in. If we don't do that, he will go in. He thinks he can get away with it with Biden. But here's the last thought. Biden will not be president in 2024. The chance of that is almost zero. Trump has a good chance. All I can say is that the next president in 2024 will have to deal with Putin differently if he invades the Ukraine. I think what he's trying to do is consolidate his power in the East and just fracture the Ukraine, not a full-scale invasion. I worry that NATO and other appeasement groups would be willing to give him part of the Ukraine as a reward for withdrawing his troops. That would be the biggest mistake we could make. The, the second biggest one would be answering uh, on paper their ridiculous demands, including guaranteeing that Ukraine will never be part of NATO and that there'll be no weapon systems in any NATO nation. Correct? You got it. That's exactly what Hitler did. He got he got democracies to sort of just throw over particular groups. You know, it started in, in, in the late 30s. Here's the deal. Here's what I liked about Trump. The more belligerent you were toward the United States, the bigger the price you paid. He told Mexico, if you don't help me with my illegal immigration and securing our border, I'm going to put tariffs on your stuff. He put tariffs on China products. He told the Triangle countries, I'm cutting all the money off until you stop the caravans. He broke uh, – he withdrew from the uh, Iran agreement and sanctioned the hell out of Iran. Here was Donald Trump. You screw with me, you're going to regret it. Here's Joe Biden. What can I do to make you happy? I think uh, I think it's a good analogy. Lastly, do you think there's any truth <laughs> to the Governor DeSantis, uh, Donald Trump sparring session behind the scenes? You know both men. Not really. I spent the whole weekend with President Trump. Uh, it's his it's his party. It's not DeSantis' party. It's not Lindsey Graham's party. Uh, he will be the nominee in 2024 if he wants it. Stay tuned. There's going to be some efforts here fairly soon to urge President to to be more forceful about running. I don't think he's going to announce until after the midterms, but I'm very confident that the Republican Party would would pick Donald Trump to be their nominee because he was a damn good president. There are a lot of Republicans appreciating what he did for our country. Independents now see Trump differently right. after this debacle with Biden. So uh, I like DeSantis. He's got a bright future. I hope he wins his reelection. He's a rising star in gotcha. the Republican Party. Uh, I think he appreciates President Trump. But I just want to let you know, from my point of view, there's nobody that's going to beat Donald Trump if he wants to run. Go get him. Senator Lindsey Graham, we covered a lot of ground. Oh, hopefully you solved some problems. Thank you. Thanks. Sir. You got it. Uh, Senator Graham, man, tapped in. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll be back with a flurry of calls when we return. Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You don't have to do it, but stay away from everybody. How dare you be so flippant, man? You told Barry Weiss essentially she needed to grow up. Yeah, she needed to grow up because she's acting like a child. My young children have handled this pandemic more maturely and less childishly than the likes of Barry Weiss. Barry, that was... 
messed up. Too many people are making this about politics, even libertarians, right? I think Bill's a libertarian. I'm not sure. I give, you know, comedians a lot of leeway, but this was not funny. Uh, Barry Weiss, not a comedian. Uh, Bill Maher was right on the money. Everyone's sick of it. Every, all the contradictory information is uh, now going down in history. And what I thought Barry Weiss said that was the most telling and revealing was, she says, this is going to go down uh, as a moral, uh, a moral crime as they look back at how we handle this to our next generation. Think about it. The kids in first grade and preschool uh, wearing masks, uh, what they've done in remote learning, uh, sacrificing huge tuition bills to put these kids uh, in uh, adversarial, uh, adversarial situations, maybe learning remotely from home. And all this stuff was an overreaction, doing policies that have proven erroneous from wiping down our Wheaties boxes to walking around with gloves to even recommended to wear goggles. Now they tell us after two years, the masks only help you 5%. Oh, we can have N95 masks, which is great if I'm a surgeon, but not if I want to live my life. Nuts. Oh, and the vaccine? Take your mask off. Oops, didn't mean it. Put it back on. Remember that. We do. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Busy hour coming your way. Congressman Lance Gooden is going to be here. He's uh, uh, from the Financial Services Committee. Congressman from Texas. Going to talk about what's happening at the border. Record numbers coming across. Uh, no one seems to care. It doesn't seem to matter. Yet we really care about Ukrainians' border. It's incredible. Uh, also, do you know that over the weekend, arrest warrants, uh, account, uh, they found uh, so many criminals coming across the border just from the people that they apprehended? Uh, so this is... Uh, uh, this is getting so out of hand, and I believe that is probably the third biggest driver down of Joe Biden's ratings. I think the first is actually uh, crime. I think number two is Afghanistan, uh, and I think two B is probably inflation. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Would you agree that the most important job for any president is to keep Americans safe. I would agree. Does he know that after a year in office, people do not feel safe in this country? I think if we look at the facts here, we've seen a surge of crime over the last two years. Would you agree with that? So what are you attributing the rise in crime to then? Uh, crime crisis, impossible to ignore for all, but the problem and cure is where the parties and the country divides. I have an idea. Why didn't we ask those on the line of fire? The cops. Number two. You don't have to do it, but stay away from everybody. How dare you be so flippant, man? You told Barry Weiss essentially she needed to grow up. Yeah, she needed to grow up because she's acting like a child. My young children have handled this pandemic more maturely and less childishly than the likes of Barry Weiss. Right, Barry, that was messed up. Yeah, that's Don Lemon. Uh, really care about what he has to say about anything medically related. A loss, of manda- uh, a loss for mandates and a victory for Saturday as New York indoor mask demands get struck down in court and an executive order to make masks optional in schools in Virginia faces pushback as Hollywood lefties do battle over the extended pandemic panic of the never-ending pandemic. Number one. All told, the number of forces that the secretary has placed on heightened alert uh, comes up to about... 8,500 personnel. We're going to be ready. We're going to be prepared. Escalation and evacuation. 
Are we sending the right message to the menace of the Far East? Or should I say Eastern Europe? We will give you the latest on the Ukrainian border. And that's where we'll start. Uh, John Kirby yesterday says we're going to move some troops into um, uh, into the theater somewhere, one of these NATO nations, 8,500. But we also are moving $200 million worth of heavy armaments, some light armaments, uh, into the Ukraine to help support their 150,000 man and woman uh, armed forces. They have 250,000 max, 150,000 active. That's pretty serious. Okay, the Russians have the superior equipment. I understand it. I did not know their army was that big until I saw some of these numbers that are coming out. But it is serious. But the question is, is by sending armaments and personnel to the NATO nations, this is a non-NATO nation, how is that going to be digested by Vladimir Putin? Because that's not really where the conflict will be. Here is Admiral John Kirby, spokesman for the Pentagon, expanding on this. Cut to. If NATO is a defensive alliance and these troops, if they are activated, are defensive and therefore frontline NATO states, how does this protect Ukraine? How does it stop Putin from going into Ukraine? It's, it's designed to reassure our NATO allies, Jen. It's, it's designed to reassure our NATO allies. And we are taking... And we are... How does it protect Ukraine? Jen, it, it sends a very clear signal to, to Mr. Putin uh, that we take our responsibilities to NATO seriously. That's the hope. Uh, one of the things to Kirby's defense, and I know Jen knows this, uh, Griffin knows this, is that what Vladimir Putin says, I don't want armaments, I don't want personnel in these NATO nations. they got to be part of NATO, that's one thing. Don't happy about it, but you got 30 nations somewhere on our border, and I don't want them to have any missile weapon systems and people, and that's not going to happen. More people are going to flow into Poland. We know that for sure. Also, get this. Russian naval exercises were taking place near the coast of Ireland, and the president, uh, the foreign minister of Ireland said, this is not welcome. He didn't even tell us. The DHS does also warn, too, here, our Department of Homeland Security, that Russia could launch cyber attacks on us. Now, if they do that and the fingerprints are on that, we have to hit them back the same day just as hard. So NATO's getting their comeuppance, and they're getting tested. They're getting tested to see how strong the alliance is. President Biden said yesterday he's happy with the strengths and the unanimity he's seen. I had a very, very, very good meeting, total unanimity with all the European leaders. We'll talk about it later. Okay, fine. We'll talk about it later. Probably not with us, but he should because we've got a problem with Germany and others who have not shown the aggression or saw the urgency in this move because Ukraine, again, wants to be part of NATO, wants to be at least an associate member of NATO, but isn't. If you are and you're attacked, rule five, go in there. Uh, You have to protect them. How big and how small, it doesn't matter. We're in. So how does the Ukrainian foreign minister feel about it? Dmitry Koliba uh, he knew about President Biden's remarks last week, but has he feel this week? Cut seven. We heard what President Biden said. The White House and presumably President Biden heard our response to that. And we turned that page over. We heard uh, from both U.S. officials speaking openly to the media, but also uh, speaking to me and to other Ukrainian officials directly on the phone that the United States will remain absolutely committed to slashing Russia if any type of incursion, invasion, interference uh, takes place. Yeah, I'm not sure with the word slashing uh, Russia. I guess with sanctions, individual oligarchs, we had Senator Lindsey Graham in a previous hour say that. 
And a lot of people, though, on the right are not for this. They say, why are we doing this? China should be the main objective. This really makes China happy because we'll get our eyes off the Far East ball and look at the Eastern European ball. I understand that point, too. It would be great because we pay so much money for the Pentagon and for our defense. You would think we'd be able to handle both. The answer for some is we're handling both. The negative part about this is, and I'm not necessarily saying I'm against it, especially if I'm a, a member of the U.S. Embassy, but we are telling the Ukrainian embassy, essentially the U.S. embassy in Ukraine, to basically empty out. And that's sending the raw message they feel uh, to the rest of the world. And now other embassies are emptying out because they don't want to be caught in a war zone. The problem is, you know the Russians would never touch our people, but the problem is for this State Department, they leave people behind. We've seen that before, and there's no way to get them out. They're essentially saying that, and believe them. Uh, after you saw what happened in Afghanistan, believe them. They are going to leave you behind, no question. So the British government on Monday announced some staff changes, so they're going to get some people out. The British have been uh, very aggressive. But Linda Zelensky, he says Americans are safer in, safer in Kiev than they are in Los Angeles and blasted Biden for evacuating U.S. citizens and encouraging the country to democratize but being the first to leave when Russia turns up the temperature. I think that's a little unfair to a degree because State Department officials aren't usually fighters. They're not usually uh, in the target line of target outside uh, of what we saw over in Libya. We saw that, but in the in the big picture, they are sending a relatively conflicting message. But most people, I think we should have a presence there. I do like that we're bulking up there. Many of you don't. Elbridge Colby was a uh, Department of Defense official under President Trump. He feels as though we're playing into China's hands. Cut eight. China is by far the biggest challenge to American interests in the way that you're talking about it at home. What's really going to affect our economy, our lives, our prosperity, our freedoms. And look, the future of the world is going to be settled in Asia. It's going to be over 50 percent of global GDP. Europe's moving down to 10 percent. And so I think you're right. I mean, the Ukraine situation, it you know may concern us to some degree, but it's far, far from the most significant thing. Yeah, I, I just don't know if you turn it off. I mean, what would you say about a president that said, well, the Russians, they started reestablishing the Soviet Union? Uh, went into Belarus and propped up that brutal dictator, went into Kazakhstan and propped up that government, and then just decided to steamroll the Ukraine and we did nothing? I mean, this is the same pattern in 1945. If you want to sit there in a think tank and tell me how this is not 1945 again, or 41 or 39, okay, I'm all ears. But I thought we were supposed to learn from the past, even though we've made so much progress as a world. International trade was supposed to diminish things like this from happening. No one really anticipated uh, the specifics of Vladimir Putin. The other big story is uh, is crime, and especially here in New York City. Crime in New York City, out of control. When you talk about uh, auto theft, when you talk about carjacking, when you talk about people being thrown on subways, when you talk about a subculture of homeless people who are just out and they're not necessarily hard on, t- uh, on hard times, they're hooked on drugs, mentally ill, meaning uh, your safety is jeopardized. As much as you say, I'd love to help these people, you can't get near these people because if they get near you, uh, your, your security is going to be breached. And there's no question about it. We've seen cops being targeted. A cop was killed. Uh, a cop was killed over the weekend in Texas by going up in a routine traffic stop. Was shot dead. That guy is still on the loose. We saw. Uh, we saw over the weekend two cops. One is clinging to life at NYU Langone, and the other one was executed. Literally executed. And thankfully, the assailant was killed, too, by the third cop on a domestic dispute. That was the fifth cop shot at in just in January with Eric Adams. So Eric Adams, this mayor that many people are looking at, he thinks he's got a bright future. He calls himself a 
common sense Democrat, which is kind of bad. Uh, I almost thought the same way when they talk about uh, compassionate conservative, as if anyone who doesn't label themselves that way has no compassion. But a common sense Democrat, because so many are like AOC, seemingly devoid of it. So when you see that when people are cracking down on crime, Eric Adams came out and says, I have a plan. And uh, part of that plan will be to go back to a plainclothes unit. Here's what he said. He said a lot of things I like. Blaming guns is so political, I, it's a non-starter with me. Cut 32. Illegal guns is an important first step. But we must also address bail reform in our pretrial detention system. First, we must allow judges to take dangerousness into account. New York is the only state in the country that does not allow a judge to detain a defendant who poses an immediate threat to the community. All right, uh, that's a start. What about taking on the Manhattan DA? Where did it start? A very good question. Uh, Ray Kelly weighed in, police commissioner, who's on a special that you're going to see on Fox Nation starting tomorrow, looking at Teddy Roosevelt as police commissioner. Cut 34. This actually started with uh, the previous mayor, Mayor de Blasio. He uh, defunded the police. He uh, took on lots of powers away from the police. The city council has put in unrealistic restrictions on the police, and they've backed off. They're not engaged in the proactive strategies that have made New York safe. Exactly. You know, we've said the safest big city in, in America, and that's uh, long gone, unfortunately. Right. And you look at Chicago, uh, you look at Los Angeles, you look at San Francisco, you look at Philadelphia, you look at Seattle, you look at Portland, the same thing. I don't understand why the president of the United States can't see it as a big uh, as a major issue. He's still talking about police reform. America's moved past it. You see the insensitive things that, that BLM is, is tweeting out, sending out, talking about all the uh, blacks that have been targeted by cops. If you look at their stories, they're either fleeing or shooting at them. Uh, and there's a reason why they're getting in conflict with them. Look at their past. Look at their history. It's not as though they're they're walking to, uh, you know, they're, on, they're en route to Hofstra University and they get gunned down. There's a different story there. So yesterday there was some sparring going on between uh, Peter Ducey and Jen Psaki over crime. Uh, Let's listen. Cut 30. Would you agree that the most important job for any president is to keep Americans safe? I would agree. So you said that the president's never satisfied if people don't feel safe. Does he know that after a year in office, people do not feel safe in this country? Well, Peter, I think if we look at the facts here, we've seen a surge of crime over the last two years. Would you agree with that? So what are you attributing the rise in crime to, then? Well, I think we should be responsible in how we're reporting to the public what the, what the, what the uh, roles are, what the reasons for the surge in crime. Gun violence is a huge reason for the surge in crime. Uh, underfunding of pol- some police departments and their need for additional resources, something the president has advocated for consistently through the course of his career. That's something we know we need to take action on. She has answers. None of them are good. one 408 7669 I'm going to play. When I come back, uh, I thought Candace Owens really nailed this. When crime is really right and wrong, not left and right. Now, d- Democrats are letting this happen. I mean, there's certain things that are out of control. Sometimes when President Bush is president, that's when the market collapsed and we had to have TARP. And you say to yourself, wow, that's unfortunate. Republicans are going to pay the price. And John McCain did. The narrative of the country changed from the surge in Iraq, which was successful, to what happened to the economy. And Barack Obama acted better, stepped up, uh, worked with the Secretary of Treasury under President 
push and help turn everything around. And there's certain things that just happen. You make big mistakes, you don't adjust. One, not recognizing crime, not recognizing inflation as key of key moments, and still trying to tell tell us that spending two trillion dollars that we don't have gets us out of these things and puts uh, food back on the shelves and brings prices down around the country. And that's why I say Democrats are in for a, a shellacking in a year, and they only have themselves to blame. And believe it or not, uh, Republicans, nothing's done. If they sober up and, and straighten up, there could be a real fight. But as of now, they're giving it to you. Well, when we come back, I'll take your calls on that. And then at the bottom of the hour, Lance Gooden. Then we do a simulcast with the number one show on FBN, Varney and Company. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I had a very, very, very good meeting. Total unanimity with all the European leaders. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> but it's not. I mean, by most reports, the NATO is not on the same page viewing the Russian threat. They still are the ones who came through the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And the Ukrainians are not necessarily the most popular guys on the block in Europe. But they have one of the biggest armies, 150,000 troops. Uh, and we're looking to arm them. And the U.K. is helping, too. So with some of the Baltic states, because they know, in a way, they could be next. Cliff is listening online uh, in Water, uh, Waterbury, Connecticut. Hey, Cliff. Hey, Brian, thanks for taking my call. Listen, Eric Adams, the, the second black mayor of New York, because of the incident, I believe the second officer has passed away as of last night. You know, so tragic. The officers put their lives on the line every day. So what he wants to reinstitute is our plainclothes police officers, detectives, increased plain or, or, or clothing, uniform officers. Then he's met with the community to try to get solutions to find out what he can do better in terms of getting illegal guns. He made the comment that guns are not being manufactured and made in New York City, and so he wants to put a more of an effort in trafficking illegal guns. So why is that a problem with you with illegal guns coming into Absolutely. the Absolutely. Great, great point. So can we go to stop a question frisk? Can we do that? Because it was working. Is he okay? with you okay with that? He didn't have a problem with that, too. And he was a former police officer. So what we're saying is that I understand the second constitution, you know, in terms of the second right. amendment regarding the constitution, you have a right to bear arms, legal guns. But what we have, Cliff, we're having Cliff, people uh, you're right. down south. Cliff, I'll make that clear. I, okay, absolutely. Get legal, legal guns. No one, no one I know, uh, I've grown up in New York, no one carries a gun here unless you're a hunter. So uh, unless you're up to no good. So even unless you have this, it really is hard to get it even for your own protection. So if you want to crack down illegal guns, yes. But if it's the centerpiece of fighting crime, don't you have a problem with that? No, and what I'm saying, O'Brien, is that how are inner cities getting these guns? They're not manufacturers, so people are trafficking these guns into the inner city. If you want to make a, if you want to make progress and you, you want to deal with the issue of crime, have the same amount of jobs in these communities, opportunities for these youth absolutely. to be more productive. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But yet, you got more guns. How about, how about Cliff? I got to take a, a step back. I mean, I can't just tell an eight-year-old that has. You know, two parents working or no parents at all, go get a job. They need mentors. They need people. They need people. They're going to push them in the right direction. going to be uh, force uh, force them to perform in school uh, and demand things of them. I mean, you want to go back that far, we can do that. But in terms of immediately, I like if guns are part of it. But I don't want that to be the centerpiece. I want to immediately get to some of the mentally ill. 
uh, homeless into some type of better situation, but they got to want to be in a better situation. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joe Biden spoke for two hours. And he spent all of his time focusing on the wrong border, which is Ukraine's border and not America's southern border. Let's be very clear. What's happening on our southern border today and tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that is getting Americans killed. Killed with drugs, killed with gangs, killed with crime. Uh, Stephen Miller lived it. I mean, he put up with all the slings and arrows, the separation of families at the border, which was uh, misconstrued and maybe... Uh, um, not a good you know, center sessions who was then at the time, uh, you know, he was uh, attorney general at the time, put this uh, plan together to deter, but he stopped and start fired people. They finally got it right. And then the border blew up and it is blown up, which is so astounding to me and aggravating and agonizing is that no one in the administration seems to care. Uh, Congressman Lance Gooden joins us now. Financial Services Committee is one of his things, but he's a Texas congressman. Uh, so, Congressman, uh, great to hear from you. Uh, did Stephen Miller say anything inaccurate? No, it's not. And everything you said is accurate as well. It's very frustrating. No one in this administration wants to acknowledge that we have a very serious problem. And it's even worse than it was a year ago when Biden started to unravel all of the progress we made under under President Trump. It's a disaster. And it seems to be getting worse. And they love a good distraction to take uh, people's attention off of it. Right. Uh, the distraction is the pandemic, which where they're coming across unvaccinated. We've been uh, through this before. Has anything that you've done in Texas been effective between using your National Guard, between building your own uh, pseudo wall? I think so, in the sense that the crossings have potentially been uh, reduced or discouraged in a way. And that's obvious when I look at California. Compared to Texas, I visited uh, Southern California a few months ago, and I found a very welcoming climate uh, for these migrants. And they're actually being encouraged to make the journey, not just through um, the words of President Joe Biden, but through his actions and the policies that the American people aren't aware of. Uh, the United Nations is funding these migrant camps. The United States is funding these nonprofits on the U.S. side that are housing these migrants for a few days before they ship them off in various places across the country. It's very well organized and orchestrated and very well funded. So the U.N., uh, as well as NGOs financed by taxpayer monies, are making this journey possible and are encouraging this journey. The U.N., yeah, that's right. There's no scenario where anyone could just get a group of folks together and march from Central America across Mexico. That's just not possible. We can't do that without help. And these these people have help. These uh, United Nations group, the International Office of Migration, they're organizing these caravans. They're passing out debit cards to these people. They're encouraging them to make the journey. They're telling them once you get to the border, run across it, claim asylum, and you'll get to stay. And then once you get across that border, the NGOs will take over from there. The NGOs are? Give me an example of some of these organizations. An example, Catholic Charities, the Jewish Family Council. Uh, there's a Lutheran group in Southern California. There's even a Baptist group in, uh, out of San Antonio, I believe. Uh, that's that we've found is facilitating this. But the Jewish Family Council and Catholic Charities are the biggest offenders. They are being incentivized by the Biden administration to take in more migrants once they get across the border. They help them with their asylum claims. They tell them, you don't need to show up to your appointment. Uh, 
you can use your arrest warrant or whatever official document you may have as identification to get through TSA and get on a plane to wherever it is you want to go. We'll buy you a ticket. And the American people are paying for this, and these NGOs are facilitating it and being encouraged by the Biden administration to encourage more people to come across. It's it's terrible. So uh, on the surface, and I've had this argument uh, with so many people, well, it's uh, in the religion you're supposed to uh, help everybody. You know, you're not supposed to judge. You're supposed to help everyone. But I have a, uh, I really believe that this is wrong because if you just think like a human being, you understand that if people are going to be trafficked illegally to get here because they know once they get here, they're going to have accommodations and a fast pass right to school and a house. Then you're incentivizing mm-hmm. other p- parents to put other eight-year-olds with these human traffickers to go through these dangerous countries to get to our border, possibly die or go through horrific physical and mental trauma to get here. Now, the Catholic charities or these Jewish groups or the Lutheran groups, they say, well, it's with it. the Bible says treat everybody. But that's not really the story. This is not coming out of the goodness of your heart. It's coming from taxpayer money that allows you to transfer that money into goods and services for people who don't belong here. I think that's a big problem. I agree. I don't believe the Bible anywhere says to help facilitate human trafficking or uh, the child sex trade. And that's basically what these groups are doing. They say it's from the good of their heart and they're doing the Lord's work. And I believe that they're encouraging the cartels uh, to push fentanyl across our border. They're encouraging families uh, to put their children at risk because these families don't know really what awaits them. They just know what they hear. And when they see someone like the Catholic Charities say, we're going to help you, they see the United Nations passing out debit cards and saying this is the way to a better life, they're they're going to listen. But when they get there, um, it's a much different scenario. Um, there are many victims of this uh, this this trafficking and these groups in the United States that are getting our U.S. taxpayer dollars to do it should be ashamed of themselves. And they're doing it in the name of the Lord, and I think it's it's a real tragedy. Right. Uh, I just think you got to look around the bend uh, and understand what you're doing, too. Also, is it against the religion to put Amer- the American people first? You know that 15-person fourth-third class? It is now 27. And 14 of those kids don't speak English, so they're going to need special services. So your kid's going to suffer with kids that don't belong here in this country who have beat the system and jumped ahead of others doing it the right way. Uh, do you have a problem with people you saying that's the way to do it because of their moral code? Yeah, I do. And, and the inconsistencies and the hypocrisy are, are just so stunning to me. Uh, I think it's immoral uh, all of the money that we would blow on things that uh, don't help our own first. You know, I hear people, Democrats and Republicans, say we need to take care of our own before we start uh, dishing out all this money uh, to everyone else. And I think we've got a lot of problems here at home. We've got grocery store shelves that are empty. There are, are people that are really struggling to survive, and we're importing more problems uh, that we can't afford. And I, I think our priorities are, are very much mis- mismatched. And it's all happened in the last year. President Trump had a lot of this under control. The situation south of the border was one where people knew not to make the journey. And now they're hearing a different message from the United States to go ahead and make this journey. And not just South Americans and Central Americans, uh, but people from Muslim nations across the ocean are finding their way uh, to the Americas and making the journey through Mexico. And we're not just seeing um, the Latino population trying to make a better life. We're seeing immigrants from all over the world making the journey across the ocean, knowing that they'll get help from the United Nations and 
groups like Catholic Charities once they get to the U.S. border. So the other big story in this country and in Texas and in certain cities, in Texas they don't have a mask mandate. It's mask optional. So in, uh, in whether it's Houston or Dallas, they might push back against uh, the governor. And we're seeing what's happening a little with same thing with Florida and now Virginia with these mask mandates. One was just uh, lifted in New York, kids going to school and not wearing masks, and the superintendent saying you better wear masks. So we're at a battle here. Uh, a lot of people like me are totally fed up with this, and I'm just uh, watching and marveling at so many on the left saying the same thing. You got superstars like Aaron Rodgers saying, no one's going to tell me to get vaccinated. Novak Djokovic, the same thing. Others are saying, I got vaccinated, I did everything, and I still got it. Uh, one of that, one of those people is Barry Weiss, former uh, editorial writer for the New York Times, who left because she was not being allowed to write what she thought, became a podcaster and writer on Substack. So as somebody who I imagine is label herself a liberal Democrat, she said this on HBO, Cut 27. The city of Flint, Michigan, which is 80 percent, I think, minority students, has just announced indefinite virtual schooling. In the past two years, we've seen among young girls a 51 percent increase in self-harm. People are killing themselves. They are anxious. They are depressed. They are lonely. That is why we need to end it more than any inconvenience that it's been to the rest of us. I think it's it's a pandemic. It's it's like at this point, it's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's It's not real anymore. Do you, I mean, we're seeing more and more people. Now people want to cancel her. Uh, Congressman Gooden, what's your reaction to this? Do you understand that school of thought? Do you understand uh, where she's coming from? Yeah, I understand where she's coming from. I mean, it's so bad that even Democrats are fed up. And, you know, I think if you've got a child from a well-off family uh, that the two parents are home every night and can help their kids with virtual learning, that's, that's a situation that is not the case in many places like Flint, Michigan. And so I I wonder what kind of um, inequities that these policies are, are pushing on these kids that don't have two-parent homes, that don't have um, the inter- internet at their house, they don't have the education uh, products that perhaps your kids or my kids would have. And one might even play the race card back at them. Uh, I think you're doing a disservice uh, to minorities across this country um, who are in these poverty-stricken areas that don't have the resources and can't uh, can't get the education at home that they would get in the schools. And it's wild to me that Democrats are the ones pushing this. The teachers union in Chicago exactly. saying that they don't want to open schools. What are those kids in Chicago doing during the day? You think they're working on don't phonics think so. with their parents? Yep. Congressman Lance Gooden of Texas talking about it all. Thanks, Congressman. Let's stay on this immigration thing. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. In a matter of moments, we're about to go on one of the hottest networks in all of cable, FBN, with Stuart Varney, the number one host on the channel. It's always great to do a simulcast here. Stuart celebrating 12 years uh, last week. We don't know how he's approaching his 13th year. Maybe he's even better. Is that even possible? Uh, then we'll be able to. So stay on board. I see you up there. We'll take calls right after this. Let's listen in. On the nail. You know what that means. Brian Kilmeade joins us. Okay, Brian, you're fired up over this ongoing vaccine and mask mandates. My position is I want to have it so it's my choice, the opinion of parents and adults. 
if whether you want to have the vax or you want to have the mask. My choice. I think you're with me on this. Stuart, am I with you on this? I've been saying this for two years, of course. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, all I'm saying is, if I follow your science, I would be backtracking for the last two and a half years because almost everything that they have told us, without even being humble enough to say some of this we got wrong, they just move on and pretend as if they didn't say it. Most of which they told us has been wrong. And no, we learned a month ago, I pulled this out. Scott Gottlieb and others go, yeah, the, the cloth mask, they can only help you 5%. Excuse me? Yeah. 5%? That's why my sev the seven-year-old is doing that? The preschool is doing that? That's why we can't walk in the building without it? Oh, and yeah. the vaccine, take the mask off in April. In June, we can have cookouts. Well, we get hit with another variant, which some people said was inevitable. And it turns out the vaccine, you read the New York Times on Sunday, they were shocked in July that the vaccine did not stop the Delta variant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now our lives change. The, the restaurants are closed. The gyms well, are half open. So you're not even acknowledging that the information was bad. So this is what I say. Find who you, who you trust in medicine. Live your life the way you do. Choose to do what you do. You know if you have diabetes. You know if you're a smoker. You know how old you are, I imagine. You know, and you say, here are the risks. I'm going to get my own resources. Exactly. And exactly. like we do everything else. I want to ask you, did you get calls from strangers asking you where to eat out over the weekend? Did you ask them what shoes to buy? No. You don't do that because you make your own decisions, whether it's exactly. Amazon or Stride exactly. right down the block. Exactly. So enough. We are done. And there's so many people that they are canceling now. The cancel side with Bill Maher and Barry Weiss and Aaron Rodgers and Joe Rogan is getting greater than the other side, the woke yes. side of Howard yes. Stern and Don Lemon. You go keep your life in a cocoon. Let us make our own decisions. Enough. Well, You've already proved you have no credibility with me. I did warn the audience that you were fired up. And yes, sir, you are fired up. But let's leave time for this one. Police in Britain are investigating a number of Downing Street parties that happened during the lockdown. The Prime Minister is under fire for holding events despite the pandemic. It's a case of rules for thee, but not for me. But this time in Britain, it's applied to a Conservative. Very different from over here, where rules for thee, but not for me. For Democrats, nothing happens to them. Yeah, I mean, you know, you'd be proud of me, Stuart. When I get in the morning, I watch a lot of the BBC and Sky News. Uh, you know, they're in prime time. I want to get a sense, especially with these world events happening over in the Ukraine. Uh, and I've been watching this whole thing happen. And Boris Johnson's stories just don't fly. This guy is shut down, destroyed pub owners, destroyed the small businessmen and women, and told them, you just listen to me. You understand? These are the mandates. Meanwhile, he's having bring-your-own-booze parties in his, own, uh, in his own courtyard. And this is a guy that is so out of shape and uh, was so cocky about it, he almost died. Uh, when the first came, we didn't know anything about it. So he gets over it, and he gets the information that we don't get. He gets the best information with the best doctors. And he goes, yeah, get a six of Coors, get another six of Heineken, and meet me in the courtyard, and I promise not to comb my hair. That is Boris Johnson, and he wants to keep his job and have any trust with the people. Listen, I don't do British politics, but this is pretty easy. Yeah, it is. I've just one more thing that I'm fired up about. Have you seen a college campus these days? All the kids are masked up, indoors, outdoors. This drives me crazy. They're the least vulnerable group, and they seem to be scared to death. What's with these kids? Well, Stuart, I'm living it. I have two college students. And on Sunday, uh, 
my youngest daughter was forced, was forced to get the booster, even though she just had it two weeks ago, and the CDC and the WHO have differing opinions. Well, this school just said, if you don't get the booster, you can't come to class. Now, do I really want to go through the college process again? There's no school that's being permissive. I have another one with a booster, didn't need any vaccination, never got it. So, again, everyone is forced to do it if you want to continue your education. And Not that right. whole... Uh, right. and, and there's some downside to that, too. So college kids are being held hostage. Preschool kids are being held hostage. Let parents and young adults be parents and young adults. We are done. We came full circle, and we're still fired up. Good stuff. Kilmeade, as in Brian. Thanks for joining us, man. We'll Go see you again Go get him, soon. Stuart. Thank you. So uh, Jared, listening in Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared. Hey, Brian. What's going on? Hey, what's on hey, your Brian, mind? what's going on? None. I was just thinking before how you were asking uh, Mike Pompeo if you believe that uh, the athletes should go to the Beijing Olympics. Like, you see over the history of time how uh, athletes were always supposed to be, like, role models for kids. Like, do I really – think about it as a parent. Do I really want my kid looking up to a role model of someone who doesn't care about mass genocide? You know what I mean, Brian? Like, it just doesn't I, – I don't think they should go to the Olympics. I hear you. Uh, you know, what, what happens is, especially with the Winter Games, you have a solid point, And I'm not going to say you're wrong about this. But I just look at the uh, cross-country skier, the biathlete, who sits there in anonymity and just says, I want to be great at something. And then they try, count on the IOC to pick a venue and the USOC to confirm it. And they pick Beijing. And then they do it again and pick China. And then you say, wait a second. I have to put my dream on hold forever. I did this fruitlessly, and I don't get my moment of fame, my chance at gold to compete against the world's best because some international uh, uh, sporting committee members decide, I probably believe, don't have proof of, to take some under-the-table financial incentives to make these choices like the World Cup overseas in Qatar when they can't play the World Cup in the summer and they have no venues. So all these people sold out their souls and now these athletes have to say, why do I have to have this question? So I am torn uh, about it. And when they got it, was there genocide happening? Did they know they were going to steamroll and destroy freedom in Hong Kong and threaten Taiwan? Not sure. But China doesn't care. I understand. I understand what you're saying. But I also understand, especially the winter, the winter athlete. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, of course, New York City, to be specific. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined, in a matter of moments, uh, Senator Rick Scott, and then we're going to be joined by Congressman Ryan Zinke, who wants to be Congressman again, former Secretary of the Interior. Uh, and by the way, I got an announcement. What made America great? We've got two more episodes dropping tomorrow. I think you're going to love them. Ellis Island, immigration, hottest issue in the country, or among the top five always. But what about when we used to do it right? You go to this island overlooking the Statue of Liberty. You register. They get background. They say, how are you going to help this country? What will you do? Do you have any family here? Then move forward. It was, uh, it was a fascinating look through uh, American history. And then I uh, walked the streets where Teddy Roosevelt did as first police commissioner of New York for two and a half years with the former police commissioner of New York who did it twice, and that is Ray Kelly. And next thing you know, the next week, 
Uh, Ray Kelly talked about what Teddy Roosevelt did for the city, how they helped out first-generation immigrants who were being abused. There was no system, safety net, or rules and regulations for them. They lived in uh, basic slums, and he helped expose that story with photographers using the press uh, and helped straighten out the city. And Ray Kelly, uh, who used his desk when he was police commissioner, uh, tells us about it. Then they took, of course, Teddy Roosevelt's statue away and brought it to North Dakota because evidently they didn't like that he was on a horse and an American Indian and an African-American weren't. Unbelievable. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Would you agree that the most important job for any president is to keep Americans safe? I would agree. Does he know that after a year in office, people do not feel safe in this country? I think if we look at the facts here, we've seen a surge of crime over the last two years. Would you agree with that? So what are you attributing the rise in crime to then? Crime crisis, impossible to ignore for all, but the problem in cure is where the parties and the country divides. I have an idea. Why don't we ask the people who enforce the law, the cops? Number two. You don't have to do it, but stay away from everybody. How dare you be so flippant, man? You told Barry Weiss essentially she needed to grow up. Yeah, she needed to grow up because she's acting like a child. My young children have handled this pandemic more maturely and less childishly than the likes of Barry Weiss. Barry, that was messed up. Unbelievable, right? Uh, the media montage against uh, New York Times writer Barry Weiss turned Substack columnist, as well as Bill Moore. A loss for mandates and a victory for sanity as New York indoor mask demands get struck down in court. An executive order to make masks optional in schools in Virginia faces pushback as Hollywood lefties do battle over the extended panic over this never-ending pandemic. Number one. All told. The number of forces that the secretary has placed on heightened alert uh, comes up to about 8,500 personnel. We're going to be ready. We're going to be prepared. I hope so. Uh, will it do to put 8,500 in another country when another country next to it's being invaded? Escalation and evacuation. Are we sending the right message to the menace of the uh, Eastern Europe? We will give you the latest on the Ukrainian border. But first things first, let's bring in Senator Rick Scott. Senator, yesterday, uh, uh, Admiral Kirby, spokesperson for the Pentagon, says we are going to be calling up 8,500 personnel and putting them into Poland and other surrounding NATO nations. Does that please you? Well, I mean, they're doing something. But why doesn't he, why doesn't he one, why doesn't the president stop the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? Why doesn't the administration stop lobbying Congress not to stop Nord Stream 2 pipeline? Why doesn't he say, you know, make sure he clears up? A minor incursion isn't, it's called an invasion. Like if they 5,000 people die in Ukraine, is that minor or is that major? I mean, you got to be clear. You invade another country, bad things are going to happen to you. Putin doesn't try. I mean, he laughs at, he laughs at Biden. He knows Biden's weak. So, I mean, this president, Biden, shuts down American pipeline, gives Nord Stream 2 to make Europe more dependent on, on Putin. And you can't make this stuff up. So mobilizing troops, that's all a positive. But he should be, he should be strong. He should be doing everything he can to help Ukraine defend themselves. Yeah, and they have about uh, 150,000 armed uh, men and women ready to fight 250,000 maximum armed forces. That's a pretty sizable army, but it looks like the uh, Russians are better armed. Does it concern you, now that we are putting money in there and Baltic nations are rechanneling money over to them, that the Russians will feel an urgency to attack? Or do you think the Olympics keeps him in check? Well, look, I don't know what will keep him in check other than a strong response against him. 
shut down Nord Stream 2 today, right? Make sure he calls his buddies. I mean, the, the president calls his friends Macron and, you know, the leadership in Germany and say, you know, get your button gear, help Ukraine, help them get the weapons so they can defend themselves. Quit being wimps. Don't be dependent on Putin. I mean, remember how Biden was going to be this world leader, bring everybody together. We'd all work together. We'll do it. If he's so good, get him to go do it. Senator Rick Scott with us. Larry Kudlow is echoing a lot of sentiments, some from the right, that we just doesn't want involved in another conflict, uh, especially in the Ukraine. He says we should be focused on China. Cut 13. I am completely unconvinced of the need or the usefulness of putting another 8,500 American troops into Eastern Europe. For one thing, Putin couldn't care less. He's got about a couple hundred thousand troops in that area. 8,500... It's an ankle bite. The way to deal with Putin is by closing down his Nord Stream pipeline and shutting Russia out of the dollar-based international banking system. He sounds like he's singing your song in, in respect. Absolutely. But we've got, to, we've got to understand, you cannot have a weak president and not have problems. All right? So Biden's weak. So we have China over there threatening Taiwan. They've already taken away the basic rights of Hong Kong citizens. They have a million people in prison because of their religion. And we are out here allowing them to host the Olympics. How ridiculous. So that's our, I mean, we've got to deal with Russia. We've got to deal with China. We can't, Biden's got to say, quit trying to get back in the Iran deal and stand up for your biggest ally in, in the Middle East, Israel. I mean, this, Biden does nothing that you, that, you just can't make up the fact that this guy is so weak. He won't stand up to Castro regime down in Cuba. He won't stand up to Maduro. They do they they do nothing. And what what we're going to get? We're going to get you know more of this. You know threats against Ukraine, threats against Taiwan. We're going to get more and more of this. I want you to hear it. So you look at President Biden's numbers. He's got sixty percent of people don't want him to run again. Uh, the Fox News poll him at forty seven percent. Quinnipiac thirty three percent. NBC at forty two percent. And you see what happened to his agenda over the last two weeks with Build Back Better, as well as blowing up the filibuster. Here's what Ari Fleischer said uh, that Biden uh, that Biden should keep in mind. Cut 41. You turn it around on substance, you turn it around on policy, and then you hope for an economic recovery. But the way you turn it around on substance is you start to govern. And when I said get Joe Manchin's vote, I mean that. You govern in a way that you can get Joe Manchin to vote for you, your policies. And if you do, you'll probably pick up 10 or 15 Republicans. You will lose 10 or 15 liberal, liberal Democrats and AOC in the House. That's the exchange that he needs to make. He cannot win off of the progressive base. He already showed he can't pass any of the progressive policies. And then adhering to the progressive principles is the kiss of death going to this election because he's misread the mood of the country. Ari Fleischer, his advice, what do you think? And number two, will he do it if you do support it? Well, first of all, I think that's good advice. First off, he was not, he, you know, Biden doesn't have a mandate. I mean, it's a 50-50 Senate. Don't try to pass all this radical left agenda stuff. Do the stuff that normal people care about. They want inflation dealt with. What's he doing about inflation? Nothing. They want the supply chain fixed. What's he doing? Nothing. They want a strong military. You don't have a weak withdrawal where, 13, where you have all these people, 13 people died out of Afghanistan. They want a strong border. They want border security. All Americans want, want border security. So do the things that would help a family. Don't, don't uh, count out to the teachers union. You know, count out to the parents. I mean, that's, that's whose kid it is, not the teachers union. So and, and uh, talk about how you support law enforcement. I mean, it's real simple. 
People want a good economy. They want their kids to get a good education. They want to live in a safe community. They don't want 100,000 people dying of drug overdoses. So it's pretty easy. Watch us focus on solving those problems. If the president wanted to have good approval numbers, solve the problems. So you have uh, some races uh, are really getting a lot of interest. For example, uh, Mark Kelly in Arizona, Maggie, uh, Senator Hassan over in New Hampshire seem the most vulnerable, as well as Senator Warnock in Georgia. Let's go through all three. First off, in, in Arizona, since you're on the, on the Republican Senatorial Committee, who do you think is emerging over there? Well, as chair of the Senator Committee, I believe that there's at least four pickup opportunities. We should win in Arizona. Mark Kelly ran as a moderate. He's 100 percent Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer would not win uh, in running statewide in Arizona. So we're going to make sure we define Mark Kelly for exactly what he is. We have four wonderful candidates in the primary. One of those will will, uh, rise and we will win. If you look at the generic ballot all across the country, Republicans are doing extremely well, and they are in Arizona. The next step is Georgia. Raphael Warnock is the Doug Jones of this race. He won a very close race. It's not a Democrat state. Uh, It's still a Republican state. Herschel Walker is in the primary, but he's way ahead. He's already in the polls ahead of uh, Warnock, next to Nevada. Uh, Cortez Masto is not well-known in her state. She's losing to a generic Republican. Uh, we've, we have uh, two people in the race there, and one of those will win on our side. We will win there. New Hampshire, we all were thinking that uh, that we were going to get Chris in the race. Maggie Hassam is underwater on Fave Unfave. She's already run ads. She's been running them since February to bring her numbers, our last September, bring her numbers up. We have, it looks like, two people, additional people going to get the race. We will win in New Hampshire. So we should win in four states. We should have, we have four good pickup opportunities. I think we can win all four of them. How about, um, how about Pennsylvania holding on to Pat Toomey's seat as well as uh, well, Ohio? We've got, we got a lot of good people in the race. The nice thing is uh, their candidate is going to be a far-left candidate. Um, so we've got a lot of good, it's going to be a very heated primary. Um, we've got Dr. Oz in. We've got Kathy Barnett in. We've got... Uh, we've got um, the Dave um, McCormick. Um, Dave McCormick in. Uh, we've got um, uh, Ambassador to Denmark uh, in Carla Sands, and we've got uh, Jeff Bartos in. So we've got wonderful people in, and we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna win. We're gonna, I mean, look, here's the hardest one. We've got to defend twenty pick up at least one. The hardest to probably defend of people of incumbents is probably Ron Johnson's race, but Ron will win. Then we got five others. Of those two, the probably hardest to win the, to keep will be Pennsylvania, North Carolina. But the Democrats will have a far left candidate. We are going to have a good good candidate on our side. We got primaries. We're going to win. Um, Senator, what's the biggest? Uh, what's the hardest thing when you took this job? I know you're going to be focused. You're going to be organized, and you're going to be systematic. That's just your background from military to business. But when you took this job. How bleak did it look? We're coming off January 6th, the president that, uh, the president that did not uh, say he lost, the, would not admit that he lost the race. Uh, then you had uh, the Republicans who had lost two key Senate races, and you get the job. What was it like then? I took over January and what 11th. about now? No. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the difference. A year ago, January 11th, they said, one, we couldn't raise money. Well, we raised $105 million last year, outraised the Democrats. That's one. Number two, they, oh, you're not going to get good candidates. We've got great candidates. Number three, oh, Biden's popular. No, he's not. So if you look at it, it's going to be a great environment. If you look across the country, we have great candidates, and we're outraising the Democrats. So we, this is, this is, you know, this is our year. We should have a great year if we run good races, stay on the issue. We are going to do really well. I don't think Biden's going to get any better. 
Uh, Senator Rick Scott, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. See you, Brian. Have a great day. You got it. Uh, Senator Rick Scott used to run uh, Florida, and now he's trying to run the Republicans back into the majority. So when we come back, your chance uh, to talk, 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot to discuss. We did not talk about crime. I did not give you an idea what Eric Adams is saying. So for those people outside uh, WABC and WRCN, just so you know, a lot of people look to New York to set the standard to bring back law and order to the cities. Let's see if he can do it while still trying to placate his left wing. Uh, Most of all, I could care less about party. I care about the country. We're going to not get anywhere as a country unless we can settle down these cities. So uh, some of those answers and that topic when we come back on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We didn't have Omicron when we were here a couple of months ago. That's the new one. And that one's very milder, much milder. We should be celebrating this. No, this, it's just gone on too long. Nobody cares anymore. The, last night, the Grubhub delivery guy was eating my French fries right in front of me. I mean, it, people want to know, when, I can, when can I get back to not going to the gym? <laughs> I don't want to live in your paranoid world anymore, your masked paranoid world. You know, you go out, it's silly now. You know, you have your mask, you have to have a card, you have to have a booster, they scan your head. <laughs> like you're a cashier and I'm a bunch of bananas. <laughs> I'm not bananas, you are. And that's a left-wing guy. And I, my, my point with Stuart Varney in an earlier hour was that soon there's going to be so many people canceled, there's going to be more people on the cancel side than the ones adhering to these ridiculous, counterintuitive, uh, counter-contradictive uh, uh, commands. So Whoopi Goldberg hears this. Uh, here's cut 25 as she goes back at feral, feral, fellow liberal comedian Bill Moore. Cut 25. That's not really funny to people who have lost their kids mm, to no. this vaccine or people who have lost family members or dear friends to this. It's, it's just, you know, listen, nobody on the planet really wants to go through this. This is not something we're doing because it's, you know, sexually gratifying. This is what we're doing to protect our families. And you don't have to do it, but stay away from everybody. How dare you be so flippant, man? I'm going to point out there are little kids who can't get mm, vaccinated yeah. and lots of people who cannot get vaccinated. And so you're playing Russian roulette with their lives. No, yeah. you're not. Uh, you act like it's, uh, it's 50-50 whether you're going to live or survive if you get Omicron. Kids are not dying from Omicron. In the rare situation, there's underlying conditions. You can't live your life uh, way trying to stop to 99.9% to 0.0008% chance of you getting it. Especially after two years after we know what we know and hearing such ridiculous things where wipe down your food, wipe down boxes, get your clothes off before you walk in the house, strip everything off. Grant, listening in Florida. Hey, Grant. Hey, bud. What's going on, man? What's on your mind in free Florida? Hey, I, I, I got like five minutes to go. I got to pick up my grandson. Uh, just let me rant for a little bit. But I agree with you this morning uh, with uh, Steve and everything. I, I, I'm 100% behind this. I'm retired firefighter paramedic from East Naples. I talked about a year ago about this mask thing. It should be fully choice. We go out and we make choices every single day. We get in our car. There's so many other diseases that are flowing around there, tuberculosis, uh, hepatitis, you name it. It's everywhere. We take chances. And if... When I, uh, 
I hear people say, well, I got the vaccination, and I know if I, if I, if I didn't get it, I would have been a lot sick if I didn't have it. I go, well, how do you know that? you got to have a time machine to go back and find out because they haven't done any studies to that. So nobody can sit there and tell me that they, they, they would have been you know, a lot worse off without the shot. I don't know that. Maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. But my daughter took the, the two grandkids, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, to the dentist, and they had to take them in the back. She couldn't go with them in Satellite Beach, Florida. Wow. And uh, I've already called Posse and told him all about it. He, he's on board. I, thank God I live in Florida. That's all I got to say. And But you still had to go through the back door, and the kids had to go by themselves to the dentist. They had to go by themselves in the back in their own little waiting room. The mom couldn't go with them. My daughter took my granddaughter out and into her room to examine her, left the three-year-old grandson in there by himself. He wanted to follow her because, yeah, I want to go with my of course. sister. She wouldn't let him. He's crying his eyes out. She, it's nuts, they, Grant. I'm up against the break, but that's just another anecdotal story that matters that people relate to. Uh, we're two years in. It's it's COVID-19. It's now real world 2022. Enough. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, militarily, Russia's been ready for some time. And the longer the time goes, obviously, you begin to see NATO take preparations. You see Ukraine to, uh, beginning to absorb in some, some weapons. So you know, in some sense, not waiting is in Russia's interest. The problem there is the Beijing Olympics. And they start in just over a week. Putin's supposed to be there as the honored guest of Xi Jinping. And the Olympics don't end until February 20th. So it's unlikely, I think, that he overshadows these Olympics with uh, invasion. Plus, I think Russia wants the diplomacy to quote-unquote be seen to to play out i could be wrong but uh, obviously but that's that's my sense then given weather after february 20th there's only a limited amount of time roughly a month while the ground is hard enough to do something really large but that doesn't mean he has to do anything large the word invasion is a little bit unfortunate here i think it's better to think of intervention an intervention suggests an entire menu of possibilities and the smaller more focused the intervention is the less time pressure mr putin mr putin will feel uh, Richard Haas, Council of Foreign Relations. I wanted to start off there, laid the groundwork for the big conflict that could be taking place in the Ukraine with the Russians welling 100,000 troops. Nobody has to explain the gravity of that situation to my next guest. He's a former U.S. Secretary of the Interior under President Bush, excuse me, President Trump, former Montana congressman and retired Navy SEAL running for Montana's 2nd Congressional District. Congressman, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. So, Congressman, paint the scenario right now. If you were in the Ukraine, how secure would you feel today? Well, not very. And this is the sequence of what's happened. You, know, you, you always negotiate from a position of strength and not weakness. Afghanistan was a colossal failure, and, and we lost credibility, and we're perceived as weak. Now you're dealing with the A-teams. You're dealing with Russia and China. And both have territorial objectives. Russia wants a Crimean uh, Peninsula, so uh, that corridor, so they can supply it access to un- unimpeded. And of course, China wants Taiwan. 
Uh, so, and I agree with the, with a gentleman before that that the, the Beijing Olympics in themselves is critical. But now you have Russia and China coordinating with each other. They both perceive that the U.S. and our allies are weak, and there is no doubt in my mind they'll begin. They'll begin to push and see what the what the pushback is. The Biden administration him, themselves has said, "Well, military action's off the table," so that 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 also strikes weakness. And I, I think I think the they're the territorial expansion of, of China, which are dictators and and you know communist party on one side and a dictator and an aggressor on the other. Uh, I think we're in for very heavy seas. So I mean, this is a policy oriented, which is for your your suit job, and the other side is actually a fighting job where you put on the camouflage, so you, you're equipped for both, which makes you uh, just perfect for Montana, who gets it and understands you. Here's what Ned Price said about Afghanistan. He does not he does not agree that Afghanistan has anything to do with Russia aggression. Cut five. Is the Biden administration aware of how critical the whole world is watching, just like what happened in Afghanistan? And then some reports are saying that Russia are taking a page of what happened in Afghanistan and moving against Ukraine or could move. I have a hard time uh, understanding how it is that uh, putting an end to a 20-year military commitment where thousands of American troops, at one point tens of thousands of American troops were stationed, uh, where there was a NATO commitment where thousands of NATO troops were stationed for many years taking casualties. Were we, were that still to be the case? How we would be better strategically positioned uh, to take on what we're seeing uh, now from the Russian Federation? Is he hedging on the question? Does, does, he, does he not get it, or is he just trying to avoid the question of the weakness that we showed, which gets the Russians, uh, puts the bounce in the Russian step? You know, if you bury your head deep enough in the sand, uh, I guess you'll, you'll, you'll lose yourself, right? But this is so ironic that you look at Afghanistan. We abandon our citizens, we abandon our allies, and we abandon our principles. In Ukraine, the State Department telecommunications said, you know what, staff from the State Department, we can't come and get you. So, you know, you're going to have to make your own, own arrangements and accommodations to get out of Ukraine. Are you kidding me? This is, you know, in Afghanistan, the State Department worked against getting U.S. citizens out, and they're doing they're doing almost the same on this. I'm not advocating military strike in Ukraine, but it's kind of like, well, how do we get out of the box? Well, how did we get in the box? It's been a series of failures, one by one by one, and now we're we're facing the 18. We're facing China and Russia, and what are we going to do? The answer from the Biden administration is economic sanctions. You tell me, Brian, a, a viable path of have economic sanctions against China and Russia both. You know, I, I think we need to be willing to do that, but you got to talk to companies like Nike and Patagonia, which are, are dealing with, with, with the Chinese. And, and look, there's, you know, when you deal with a Chinese company, you are dealing with the Chinese government. There's no gap between. So, and we've already went through a supply chain issue where we're vulnerable, and and we need to manufacture in this country energy. You know, look what happens when when we when we lose our our grip on being energy dominant. Inflation comes up. So this 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 administration, both foreign and domestic, has been a disaster.
So when you look at Russia's situation, I mean, I saw Tucker last night, saw Laura Ingram last night. They are not for getting involved here or bulking up troops there. Ukraine should not be our problem. I don't agree with that. Eldridge Colby, who you might know, former Trump DOD official, said this to Tucker last night. Cut eight. China is by far the biggest challenge to American interests in the way that you're talking about it at home. What's really going to affect our economy, our lives, our prosperity, our freedoms. And look, the future of the world is going to be settled in Asia. It's going to be over 50 percent of global GDP. Europe's moving down to 10 percent. And so I think you're right. I mean, the Ukraine situation, it you know, may concern us to some degree, but it's far, far from the most significant thing. So having said that, are we doing are we helping China by ignoring China again? Well, certainly there's a lot of us that are not ignoring China. Um, but I, I, I perceive this is a, a path when you have two aggressors and dictators. They will go through the, the Olympics. They will have coordinated means, and they will have a coordinated effort, uh, China, to in, invade at least the Taiwan Islands. And they will go as far as they possibly can. And the allies, you know, right now, we're not unified. Uh, and a lot of the non-unification has, has come from our weakness and our uncoordinated withdrawal disaster in Afghanistan that we can't be trusted as allies. And then you, then you look at the, the troops. Well, we're going to put more troops in Eastern Europe. Where are the troops going? There, we're going to put 8,500 in Poland and a few thousand in maybe Lithuania or the Baltic states. That, that, isn't, that isn't a response. That's just making sure, I, I guess, the, the Polish, we can, do, we can do joint training. But the, the, the scale, you, you're not going to put any viable force against 10, you know, 100,000 Russian troops, and they, can, and they can put more in it. So, um, but again, it goes back to you can't negotiate from a position of, of weakness, and that's exactly what we're doing with what I consider the A-team of Russia and China. And, oh, by the way, the Biden administration may be the one that kicks the United States off of the superpower list. Uh, that would be interesting, uh, certainly. Uh, Congressman Ryan Zinke with us. Congressman how much different is it minority to majority uh, for that spot? I mean, there is 28 retirees among Democrats already before 2022. That number could double. What is it about the minority that makes that makes that position so frustrating? And do you believe you'll be in the majority if you win? Well, I do. But you have to earn every yard. You you, you can't take anything uh, for for you know. You know, overlook anything, but also that's the, the walk through the the formula. If we get the majority, we have to lead. We have to show the American people that we can get things done. We we have to articulate a message, and it puts us in a position for the presidency in 2024. But but simply flipping it from red to blue or blue to red without actually getting things done. I think I think most Americans want to want to see our Congress function. They want to get things done. They want to look at the budget, which has been out of control. And when we send people to Washington, D.C., we expect them to fight for our values. What did you learn uh, about Washington after working there for two years that you did not know? Uh, when, and this is where President Trump and I did disagree. Uh, he called Washington, D.C. a swamp. And I said, Mr. Mr. President, I'm Secretary of Interior. There's a lot of beautiful swamps in America. There's swamps in Louisiana and the Carolinas, Mississippi. D.C. is not a swamp. It's a sewer. And what I learned is to push as much authority and decision-making power out of D.C., 
because D.C. has lost a perspective. It's about power and control, and most of America is about freedom and protecting our way of life. Uh, we just want government to run, run correctly, be transparent, and, and not corrupt. But when every decision is made by, by, by a bureaucracy in D.C., you know, example, how do you think you can manage the Yellowstone River if you don't know where it is? Or your only context of the Yellowstone is a, is a great Kevin Costner series. So what I learned in, in D.C. is let's make sure you push these decisions out and put a face on them in a community and, uh, on these issues rather than just a piece of paper uh, because it just, it's pushed a lot of uh, distrust of the federal government. And, when, and that, at the core of the problem is – Tell me what division, department, agency has the full trust and confidence of the American people. And I don't think there's a one of them. And even the Department of Defense took heavy roles uh, from Afghanistan. Absolutely. And, and we need to fix that as, as, as Americans. We need, to, we need to fix it now because our, our, our republic can't stand with so much hatred and distrust. Uh, but last question. You know, we did What Made America Great. We did a bunch together. And the last one I did was Teddy Roosevelt uh, when he was police commissioner, how he straightened things up and put an academy in and made police accountable and uh, talked about rights and things to that nature. And he also founded the Museum of Natural History. Last week they took his statue out and moved it to North Dakota for the, for the Teddy Roosevelt Museum because they people found it offensive that he was sitting on a horse and an American Indian and African-American weren't. What's your reaction to that? Well, it's disheartening because Roosevelt has always been a hero in, in my book, and I am fortunate to know their family as well. And Roosevelt stands as one of our greatest conservationists uh, ever. And the West especially lives in a shadow with a lot of our public lands and policy. Uh, but to have such an icon and such a, a president, the only Medal of Honor winner, by the way, as a, as a president, to somehow be cast in the shadow of this woke movement uh, is, you know, but it's consistent. They're, they're, they're assaulting the founders of our country as racist, and therefore the Constitution itself is racist in, in, in some people's mind. But I do, I do think the woke movement has, has now been a wake-up America movement. Uh, you know, we all rise and fall in the same tide, but you can't hate America. Let's fix America. But yeah, the hatred and the division... And what we're seeing now is the, the cancel culture movement, uh, you know, I think strikes the very character of our country. And there's a pushback. And I, I think we need to address it. I hear you. Uh, Congressman uh, Zinke, good luck in your quest to get back to Washington and represent Montana. Congressman Ryan Zinke, thank you. Hey, I appreciate it. Brian, have, have a great day in the great state of New York. <laughs> yes, it's great. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. When we come back, we find out if there's more to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. President Biden marked the end of his first year in office with a two-hour press conference because that's how long it took to list everything that's gone wrong. It was actually the longest presidential press conference in history. But as I have been told many times before, just because you went for a long time doesn't mean you did a good job. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. That is uh, the story what's happening uh, on SNL on Sunday, which wasn't unfunny. But I want to find out there's even more to know. 
More to know. Tom Brady is weighing his NFL future. He's on with our good friend Jim Gray yesterday. Will he retire at 44? You said you're going to take some time and uh, you will decompress. Uh, when will you begin that process and, and how will that go with your review? Well, I think the point is there's no really rush for me to uh, to figure out what's next. You know, I'll know when I know. And um, it's to, it's a day after the season. So I think for all of us, you know, we can all decompress a bit. It's been six straight months of football every day consumed by day in and day out football. And I think now it's just some time to spend some time with my family and spend some time with, you know, my kids. Yeah, I guess uh, if I'm Tampa Bay, I have to get another quarterback either way. You got to get another quarterback. I wouldn't be so I draft somebody, try to get the backup quarterback of the Packers if the, uh, if the Packers sign uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, or try to get um, Daniel Jones from the from the Giants, somebody that could take over. Hasn't he said previously that he wants to play till he's forty five? Yeah, people say, well, he's forty four now. Yeah. It's not really. And Rob Gronkowski seems healthier than usual, though he didn't do much in the final game. Next, uh, Peter Dinklage bashes uh, Disney's uh, blank. Uh, uh, says it's black. What do I say? How do I you say that? Effing effing backwards Snow White remake. Uh, Peter is not too pleased with the Disney's upcoming Snow White and the Seven Dwarves remake because it's accused of being insensitive to dwarves. The Game of Thrones stars dropped the bombshell while promoting his movie Cyrano on Mark Moran's uh, WTF podcast. Uh, Dinklage is... Uh, he's a dwarf. It's a, he's, he's, he is yeah. a dwarf. There results in uh, him being about uh, four foot five. They found the movie uh, especially hypocritical as they were very proud to cast Latina actress as Snow White. But there's no uh, there's no Latina X anymore. So but, what do you think about this? No, there's, I, there's no winning in this story. Well, no, I think it's an interesting just point that Dinklage makes. It's the hypocrisy of Hollywood. It's okay to be like, oh, look, we have this Latina actress. We are so progressive for Snow White. However, here are seven dwarves that live together in a cave, but that's okay. <laughs> right? He's like, I forgot that was the plot line. Exactly. He said, you're progressive in one way, but then you're still making that effing backward story about seven dwarves living in a cave together. What the F do you, what are you doing, man? <laughs> um, he said, take a deep step back and look at what you're doing there. It makes no sense to me. He's right. It's completely hypocritical. Well, what is the theme? The dwarves help Snow White do what? Well, when she was what? She was in the forest, right? Because then she, oh. and then they helped her. I keep on getting that mixed up with Cinderella. I actually do too. <laughs> right. Next. Lamar Jackson responds after Antonio Brown. Remember Antonio Brown, the wide receiver, took off all his clothes and except his pants and left the Tampa Bay Bucks two games before the end of the season. Lamar Jackson responds after hearing that Antonio Brown wants to play on the Ravens with him. Who's next in line for you? You Lamar, play with the GOAT? You Lamar want a Super Jackson. Bowl with the GOAT? That's who you want to play for? Action Jackson. Let's, let's, let's give Lamar Jackson his flowers. Yeah, for sure. Why? You don't know why? What do you no, mean I, why? I, you, I'm, I'm saying you, yes, you I watch games. I want you to say it so that you can well, tell you know, the people. He just said, yes, hey, listen, I know why. Shout out to Lamar Jackson. That's it. Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback. Not only him throwing the ball, the dynamic of him yeah. playing. I don't think that he's John Harbaugh's type of guy. Uh, Brown joined the Bucks in 2020. If he were to sign with the Ravens, Brown would join a receiving core that includes Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, Sammy Watkins, who's a hell of a player, and Dev. Uh, and Miles Boykin, Tylen Wallace. He's arguably the best of the bunch. It would instantly become one of the Jackson's top targets. Problem is, the guy can't stay on the field, and he's a mental case. I was going to say, doesn't he have many other issues going on in his life? Most people that know him just say, not a bad guy, but needs help. Next. Neil Young is threatening to post all his songs off Spotify because Joe Rogan interviews people that have something counter to, counter to what the CDC says about this ongoing pandemic. 
Uh, he says, basically, he told Rolling Stone, which reported on Young's letter to Spotify, that it's essentially going to be Joe Rogan or Neil Young. You can't have both. I think Neil Young's just trying to be relevant again. No. Right. I mean, everyone's going to choose Joe Rogan, am I right? Uh, yes, especially on that platform. Yeah. I mean, no one cares about Neil Young. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.